from WH... Gina, Gina, this G- Gina, can you stop that for from a minute, WHRV- please? Where are my chocolate-covered strawberries? From WHRV Norfolk, Gina, this... where are my chocolate-covered strawberries? I, I've only asked for two things, chocolate-covered strawberries and Chardonnay when I come into the studio. Where are they? From WHRV where, uh, Norfolk. Would you get her attention? She's she's still doing this that. Is what- Todd. Todd. From WHRV Talk Norfolk, this is Watching Stop America. Her. Play the music, Todd! Play the music! Play the music! Dear ladies and gentlemen, my guest, I'm calming down, my heart rate's returning. My guest is Ryan C. Martin, PhD. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He is the Associate Dean for the College of Arts and Humanities and Social Sciences. He is the Professor of Psychology at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. And moreover... He is an incredibly insightful, engaging, and entertaining personality, and we are most privileged to have him here. Dr. Ryan Martin teaches courses on mental illness and emotion, including a course on anger. He researches and writes on healthy and unhealthy expressions of anger. Please note, there are healthy expressions of anger. His website, called alltheragescience.com, covers recent research on anger and provides anger management tips. And moreover, he also hosts a popular psychology podcast entitled Psychology and Stuff. I like that. He's been featured in the New York Times and also across the water on the BBC Radio's Digital Human Program. And now he's featured here. And I am so delighted to welcome Dr. Ryan Martin. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much for having me and for that introduction. I appreciated that quite a bit. Well, uh, you know, people get angry, as you've indicated, uh, in your work and have dedicated your life to, and there's evidently different types of anger. I'm going to start with a very general question. Why do people get mad? When do they get mad? Why? Um, Oh, why do they get mad? Yeah, so people get uh, angry basically because of a, a combination of uh, external forces, these things that we think of as provocations um, that, that block our goals or get in our way, um, that leave us feeling helpless, that sort of thing. Um, they get mad when those things happen uh, and when they might be in a particular mood or state, what people oftentimes refer to as the pre-anger state, that um, that that uh, exacerbates uh, those situations. So maybe if we're too hot or too cold, or maybe if we're running late for something, or we're stressed or anxious. Those are all uh, elements of that pre-anger state. Uh, I was always told, and and uh, you know we all took psychology 101. But then at the graduate level, I had to take counselling uh, courses for um, a regiment of study I was doing, and I was always told that anger is a secondary emotion. Is that correct? You know, I don't think so, personally. Um, you I want my money back people, from my professors. <laughs> you will hear many people refer to it that way. Um, quite honestly, it's actually something I've been thinking about writing about. Um, quite honestly, 
I, I'm not 100% sure what people mean when they say that, um, you know, sort of secondary to what. I think a lot of times people think it's secondary to sadness. Um, and I don't know that that's how I see it. I think sometimes it is. However, I tend to think that both sadness and anger are different ways that human beings respond to hurt. And so if it's secondary to anything, maybe it's secondary to feeling hurt uh, in some way. Well, that's interesting because one of the things I've noted over the years, and, and I'm sure classically you've had cases where you've seen this, are people who say they're hurt. And what they really mean is they're flipping angry. Right. Yep. I think um, for some reason, anger is a very hard, and I think we know the reason it has to do with kind of upbringing and cultural attitudes towards anger, but it's a very, it's difficult for people to admit to feeling angry. Um, but they also tend to think of that anger as uh, being more the kind of outward aggressive expression uh, of, of the feeling. So I think they conflate anger and aggression a lot. And, and fundamentally, those are two different things. That's very interesting. Can you elaborate on that? Because I, I recognize what you're saying, and it's, I, I believe it to be completely true. Can you give examples? Yeah. So aggression is a behavior, uh, and it is a behavior where there is an intent to hurt someone or something, either verbally or physically. Now, aggression can either be, um, uh, like I said, verbal or physical. It can also be like direct or be indirect. Um, and so there are time, there are ways in which you can be like passive aggressive, where you can sort of fail to fulfill obligations you said you would engage in. You can spread rumors about people. Those are all aggressive acts. Anger is an emotion. It's a feeling state. And that feeling state, just like sadness, just like happiness, just like fear, can be expressed in infinite ways, right? There's uh, an unlimited number of things we can do when we are feeling something. Now, a lot of times people will express their anger aggressively, um, but they'll also express it through tears, through pouting, through, um, you know, just going and being alone um, and sort of social distance. Um, so there's lots of ways that we can express our anger, and those are actually primarily negative expressions I just mentioned. There's all sorts of positive things we can do, too. Well, let's work with another cliche related to anger, and it's within your realm, but uh, slightly a field from what you directly concentrate on. But we've also heard many times said that depression is anger turned inwards. Is that true? I think it can be. Um, I, I don't think that that is typically what's going on. I think depression is a really um, broad category of symptoms that people experience. And sometimes it's, you know, anger at the world that you sort of focus on yourself. Sometimes it's anger at yourself and who you are uh, and, and maybe not living up to expectations. And so you turn it inwardly that way. Um, but I think depression is usually much more than that. Um, one of the things that you've you've alluded to is that uh, goals that are thwarted produce anger. Are we always conscious of that or sometimes are we unconscious of it? I think a lot of times that happens outside of our awareness. I think um, we, you know, when you think about goal blocking and you think about it very broadly, um, I think that is actually the the... 
cause of a lot of anger that we feel throughout our our day and our life. You know, whether it's me trying to uh, get to class and having uh, people in front of me walking slower than I'd like to, right? They're blocking my goal. Or if it's me trying to get out the door in the morning, you're going to notice a theme here. Um, And, you know, my kids taking a a, a long time to get their shoes on, to get in the car, um, that's goal blocking. Um, Even the the frustration you see when you get stopped at uh, too many stoplights or when you try and print something and your printer doesn't work, those are all things interfering in your goals. Well, you talk extensively about uh, provocations, and you have actually uh, concentrated on five, uh, and they are the following, and I'll let you go and address each of them. Unpleasant circumstances, unfair circumstances, goals blocked, which we've just alluded to and spoken briefly about, uh, that which is avoidable, and a sense of powerlessness. Now, those are the, the five most common. Is that correct? Those are five things that I've outlined as being relevant most of the time. And you don't have to have all five of those in order to to become angry. Um, However, when you put that kind of combination together, you're you're really likely to see an angering uh, situation. Okay. Well, so let's deal with the unpleasant. What would be just general examples of of the unpleasant uh, initiator or genesis of anger? Yeah, well, I think it's important as we kick things off to note that it's – that. Even though these are provocations, these are things that we're appraising a particular way. Like we're deciding in our minds that this is an unpleasant situation. And so, you know, whether or not there is a situation that is inherently unpleasant, sure, there are some, but typically this is our evaluation uh, of these events. Now, an unpleasant situation might be something where um, being stuck in traffic could be an unpleasant situation, um, having someone insult you, you know, just at the core. We're saying basically this is a negative thing that's happened rather than a positive thing. Okay. Now, unfair uh, is your second category. And when I see the word unfair, it always brings back the the old sentiment, the old expression of righteous indignation where people get angry. Um, We have many examples of that in culture, probably – the cardinal primary text for Western culture has been historically, whether with belief or without belief, the Bible. And we have an interesting example of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, actually getting angry. And it's at the Temple Mount. And we read that he picks up, moreover, a whip or a stick and turns it into a whip. And he goes knocking over tables and sends various items flying around. And uh, for lack of a better term, some people would say Jesus lost it. And uh, he was really angry, but he's angry about the unrighteousness of people trying to exploit people, trying to have a spiritual experience with God and and basically extorting money from them. Now, there's a classical example of righteous indignation, but do we experience, although not from a point of divinity, do we experience the same thing on a regular basis? Yeah, I think this is another uh, big element of that provoking situation. So we say that goal blocking is, you know, I already alluded uh, or or talked a little bit about goal blocking. We say the same thing. Another big piece of this is when you perceive situations to be unfair, right? And so uh, these are uh, basically these situations where you've decided that you or someone you care about is receiving unfair treatment. Um, You didn't get something you deserve. Um, Somebody else got something that that they didn't deserve, uh, something along those lines, um, that basically where a decision was made and you find that decision to be fundamentally unfair. 
Okay, um, I had an experience I'd like to share with you. Uh, I was somewhere recently where I saw a duck, not exceptional, around bodies of water, which we have in this area. Uh, and there was this duck, and she, and I say she because there was a little ducklet following behind, had a singular duck, which struck me, um, Ryan, as being a bit unusual because I always think of, you know, being a few ducklings following behind Mama. So I immediately thought to myself, boy, this, this duck may have lost its other ducklings, but, I, you know, I felt sympathy for this creature, and I avoided it. The creature was in the area and was very, very uh, apprehensive about my presence, I could see, and was trying to protect her single duckling. So I gave her plenty of birth and stayed away. A family came by uh, with two children, very small children, and they allowed the children to run immediately over to the mother duck, who was already frenzied and anxious, and uh, terrorize this this duck with its little duckling. The mother was so anxious that heroically, and I do mean that heroically, she immediately covered her little duckling with her own body, imagining from her point of view that she's in peril. I felt so angry, Ryan, at the lack of the parents to explain that, first of all, this is a mummy ducky, and she wants to look after a baby ducky. And it was a wonderful learning opportunity, I thought, for these children to learn about um, sympathy, empathy, and concern. And, and I wanted one of the parents to say to the, their child, you know, well, you know, mommy and daddy, we really love you, and we'd get very upset if anyone was around trying to possibly hurt you. That's how this little ducky feels. Didn't happen. In fact, to the contrary, they laughed and giggled at their children terrorizing this, this little duck. I would have spoken up normally, but I wasn't quite con convinced that the person who was there, the daddy, was going to be singularly accepting of a verbal discussion without turning it physical. So call it cowardness or what have you. I just thought it's the better of wisdom not to pursue this. But that has not left me for about a week, and I keep thinking about it. What's going on? Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there. So um, when, when I, I have one quick follow-up, and that is, when you've been thinking about it over the last week, have, what have you been thinking about? How unkind people are to animals. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, and I ask that because if you were, you know, for me, one of the things I'd probably be thinking about, and I tend to be a ruminator, which is uh, one of the, the consequences of anger uh, sometimes. But if it were me, one of the things I'd be thinking about is questioning whether or not I should have spoken up, whether or not I should have done something. That that would have been a thing I kind of hung on to for a while. In most cases, um, I would have. Yeah. So uh, I think, um, you know, I think what happens is like you see that situation and it probably a lot of times that level of anger um, or that type of anger comes from a place of um, sometimes it's really big picture, right? We start thinking about things in terms of, oh, what is the, the state of the world today? Why, why don't these people get it? Or, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> precisely, you're reading my mind. Yeah, that, right. that's the amplification. Like, what is wrong with this person, this couple and humanity in general? You got it. <laughs> yep. You know, that, there's a, that there is a sort of big picture. And I think this actually, uh, years ago when I had young kids, I actually wrote a piece for All the Rage about this very thing, about kind of sometimes this anger that parents uh, get at other parents for letting their kids kind of run amok or behave in ways they wouldn't and where that comes from. And I think some of it is that kind of big picture. I, I see this as a symbol or a symptom, I should say, uh, of a much, much bigger problem. And on top of all of that is just the fact that, you know, this is a case where you see 
like cruelty and unfair treatment in this case of a of something particularly fragile right there in front of you. You've triggered triggered something in my mind. First of all, for those uh, who are joining us right now, this is Watching America. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Campbell, and my guest is Ryan C. Martin, Dr. Ryan C. Martin, PhD, and he is the Associate Dean of, uh, of the College of Arts and Humanities and Social Sciences at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay, and he has written extensively about anger. You've just triggered something again, uh, a recollection. You were talking about as when you were a parent, you would sometimes feel discord or annoyance at other people in your estimation not parenting correctly. Um, this leads to another point. Do you remember Stephen Covey? Stephen Covey, uh, two decades ago at least, wrote a book called The Seven Basic Habits of Highly Effective People. And he spoke and I think may have even coined the term paradigm shift or changing paradigms. And he gives an example, and I want to pursue this with you, of the story of a man who was in New York getting on the subway uh, about nine o'clock one day. And he got on the subway and he was in the car alone and was enjoying it. He was going to read a copy of the Sunday New York Times. When this man got on with two kids and the kids were running all over the place and this was really driving this guy crazy. The kids were on the chairs and screaming and what have you. And he observed the father doing absolutely nothing. Finally, the man couldn't take it anymore and he turned over to the father and he said, look, can you please get control of your children? And the father turned around somewhat dazed and said, oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. We've just come from the hospital and their mother has died. Suddenly, an immediate paradigm shift, changing, no longer anger. In fact, self-speculation about the motivation for him even saying what he said, and now a different viewpoint. How much of our anger is based simply on not having the correct perspective on a circumstance and the need perhaps to have a, a changing paradigm? Yeah, I, I actually think quite a bit, and I have heard that example before, though I didn't, uh, I didn't know the source. Um, but I, I think uh, quite a bit. Um, I think one of the things that happens as we go through life is that there's actually a lot of gaps in our knowledge and our awareness of what's going on around us. And so we fill in those gaps uh, unintentionally. And the, the way we fill that in, we act as though it's real and certain. So, um, you know, in that situation, maybe the person decides, okay, this guy is just a terrible father who doesn't have control of their kids. And then that becomes kind of the way in which you tend to think about that person. We, we call that inflammatory labeling. It's one of the appraisal styles we know is associated with anger. But if we get new information that changes the way in which uh, we, we think about this or we perceive this, then it ultimately leads to a, a different feeling state, maybe empathy, maybe something else. This is something I actually think about on the road all the time. Um, you know, I, I've said before that driving is um, like kind of the perfect situation to lead to anger. And part of what makes it such a perfect situation is that we know so little about the people around us. And that car that's driving too slow, quote unquote, in front of us might be driving so slow because it's their first time on the road after an accident. Um, you know, we don't know anything about the people around us. And so we fill in those gaps with that person's a hazard, that person's not focused, that person is unaware, that person's too old, uh, put that in quotes, and so on. The former talk show host, late talk show host, no pun intended, uh, of The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson, I remember him years and years and years, decades ago, as a matter of fact, saying that driving is the great equalizer. 
uh, whether we're driving a Maserati or a 1992 Ford Taurus, it makes no difference. Once we get behind the wheel, we have this large contraption that, which weighs a ton. And um, then we are not in, in, a, in a position of being a feat or weak in any way. And it causes different behavior. Um, one of the things that perpetually makes me frustrated is when I get behind commercial workers in vehicles who are going obviously to another job and they're in no rush because, you know, they're just doing their thing. But I, I have to avidly work at changing my attitude. Now, you talk about anger management. What is, and the people are driving right now listening to us, what is the best way to handle, to manage the anger and frustration that we feel periodically while driving? Yeah, that's a really good question, a really important question. And so real briefly, I'll say uh, anger occurs because of a provocation, right? People driving too slow, we'll use that as our example. That pre-anger state, the mood we're in. So in the case of driving, right, where our emotions are escalated because it's inherently dangerous, uh, how we appraise things, so how we think about that provocation but then there's also what we do when we're angry, and that's the, the part that comes after that. And, and I've already said there's infinite ways to handle it. So how do you manage your anger? I personally think you look at that entire model and you think about where you can intervene. Some people, it might be smart for them to take alternative routes, right? So they limit those provocations that they experience. They take alternative routes. Maybe they wait a little bit so they don't hit traffic. Maybe they leave a little earlier so they don't feel as rushed, right? So they, they are uh, addressing both that pre-anger state and the provocation. Sometimes, though, that's not something you can do. And if that's the case, then it's really about thinking about uh, that appraisal process, Catching yourself as you begin to catastrophize, right? As you begin to say, oh, now I'm going to be late for work. I'm going to miss this meeting and then I'm going to get fired or whatever. Um, you have to catch yourself in the middle of that and think, what are the reasonable consequences here? What is the most likely thing to happen if I'm a few minutes late? Um, first of all, will I be a few minutes late? Is this really, is that really a likely outcome? Another is to think about, um, uh, other ways of appraising things, to think about who's really to cause uh, the cause of this. Um, sometimes people have a tendency, especially on the road, to misattribute causation, uh, which means that they put the blame where it doesn't necessarily belong. Um, there's certainly labeling. We label people as idiots and fools and a host of other sorts of things. And sometimes it's helpful to catch ourselves when we do that and come up with a, a better way of thinking about it. Um, and so it's really addressing that appraisal process. But then finally, it's about evaluating the what, what do I do now, right? I am angry. How do I, how do I catch myself? And maybe I take deep breaths. Maybe I find ways to relax. Maybe I make a point of actually getting over into the slow lane and just saying I'm going to set my cruise for the speed limit or, or whatever, and I'm going to try and let this go so I don't make a mistake or, or, or do something that makes the situation worse, like uh, tailgating or, or you know, cutting someone off or giving someone the finger or whatever. Do some people have a proclivity to default to anger simply because their nervous system has just become comfortable with that? In, in a sense, I guess I'm asking, do some people enjoy being angry? Yeah, I think anger is a little different than some other quote-unquote negative feeling states in that uh, if you think about anger compared to sadness or compared to fear or guilt or jealousy, if you were to just ask yourself of those you know, four or five emotions I just mentioned, which would you most like to feel right now? 
chances are anger is a is the one people would choose, right? They'd rather feel angry than jealous or guilty or sad or scared. Um, and I think it's because anger has a has a tendency to um, empower people a little bit. Now, I, I start by saying I don't think any emotion is actually inherently good or bad. I think they can be good or bad, uh, depending on what we do with them or how often we feel them. But I think people gravitate towards anger uh, that way because it ends up uh, feeling more empowering. Now, there are all sorts of... Um, problems with anger or it can lead to all sorts of problems if we don't handle it well or deal with it well. Well, let me ask you another question. Can anger be taught or is it caught? Uh, yes, it can be taught. Um, I think one of the things we know, and this is a, a an interesting rule when it comes to emotional development in general, is um, that kids tend to model some of the emotions that they see from their parents. Um, and so a lot of times um, kids will, uh, you know, whether it's uh, positive emotions and happiness and joy or more negative emotions, sadness and anger, kids will end up doing a lot of the things that they see their parents do. Um, even recently, I, I actually noticed with my own children um, that, you know, my, my wife and I do what a lot of couples do. And at the end of the day, we, we sometimes we spend a little bit of time just complaining about work, right? And sharing work stories, complain about that. And I recently noticed my son doing that at the end of his school day, that he's nine years old and kind of complaining about things. And I thought to myself, is that the, is that the tone we want to set? Is that what mm. we want and the kind of person we want him to be? And, you know, for me, the answer is no. Yes. I don't want him to come home and immediately start complaining about people. And so that's a thing we've started to shift uh, about how we interact with each other. Um, and the same thing's true. If, if you've got parents who yell, if you've got parents who scream or swear or, or things like that, chances are that's what you'll uh, gravitate towards. Can anger be used, and I'm going to go to a sociological large-scale vantage point in this, can anger be taught as a form of manipulation to control people? Some would have said in the past that Karl Marx was an expert at making people feel angry because he conveyed the idea that they did not have and that they were entitled to more, which propagated anger, which propagated support, which propagated a movement, which some would say led to communism. Can you tell a group of people that they're being mistreated uh, as a form of making them angry, and then once you've made them angry, perhaps manipulate them for your own devices or purposes? Absolutely. I think we see a lot of examples of that. And I would actually say there's there's two ways. There's the, the, the global big sort of big picture sociological perspective that you're talking about, where you see people using anger, um, just as you're talking about, you, you tell people, hey, you don't have the things you should have. And uh, that motivates people to the polls. It motivates people to uh, to uh, protest. It motivates people in a lot of ways there. And in fact, there's even some research on this um, looking at what people are more likely to click on, whether it's a, uh, an ad, a political ad that makes people angry or a political ad that's more neutral. Typically, we see that they're more likely to click on one that makes them angry. Um, and so there's actually a financial incentive from the uh, uh, politicians. Yeah, 
to essentially uh, make people angry because it means more clicks on their ads. How, how is internet anger different? Because it is it is evident. I mean, all one has to go to is you know uh, there's many many sites, and you can see that there are people propagating anger. Uh, uh, there's a great proliferation of anger, and it's it's almost by design. So when people get angry on the internet, what, what's going on, and what are the typical differences from, say, face-to-face anger? Uh, I think it starts with, um, I mean, at the core, it's very, very similar. And and all of those things we've talked about already are still going to be the same. People get angry for the same reasons on the internet. I think one of the big differences, though, is pre-internet, or maybe not pre-internet, but pre-social media. I came down in the morning and I made myself a cup of coffee and I don't know what I did while it was brewing. I probably stared out the window. Uh, Who knows? Now I uh, go downstairs, I turn on my coffee maker and I typically grab my phone or my iPad and I sit there and I scroll through Facebook or Instagram. And what that means is I now have these new, what I call opportunities to feel things that I'm being exposed right out of the gate to things that might make me angry or sad or scared or happy, you know, depending on on what I see. And so we're just inundated with a lot more information than we once had. It's the equivalent as if one were to walk downstairs, grab a cup of coffee, look out their front window, and there were 500 people on the front lawn with signs screaming things. Yes. You know, you're being exposed to all of this information. And a lot of that information, as you said, seems to be designed to make people angry. Um, And it's different than, especially when you add kind of the the clickbaitiness of all of this, that um, we also know that newspapers know that things that that drive emotions like anger are more likely to spread. So articles are more, you know, it's different than reading the newspaper was 15 years ago because the newspaper wasn't always designed to make you feel things. It was designed to give you news. Now I think it's more explicitly designed to make you feel things. And that means that you're going to get angry more often that way. It also means that you it's easier to respond. And so the language and the, the way in which but what we do when we're angry is different than it once was. We can say things in a very public way that we couldn't do before. Um, you can fire off an email uh, differently uh, than we once did. I mean, there's just lots of ways for us to respond that the Internet and technology provide. Well, what's with the capitalizing? I mean, people who put everything in caps and 15 exclamation points. Uh, I mean, that's really blowing up. Yeah, people are really finding ways to communicate uh, that they're angry, whether it's, you know, emoticons or all caps or uh, just uh, other mechanisms. You know, I mean, one of the one of the studies we did recently, we found that um, and this was a little bit surprising to me, but people use Snapchat to convey anger much more than I thought they did. And I think one of the reasons is because, one, it's a little more private than those other uh, other venues, right? So they mm-hmm. can share very specific angry things with a, with a friend. But it also provides them a, a, a mechanism, like a new language for communicating that because they can take pictures of things and they can draw things on those pictures, you know. And, and so it's a way of 
communicating that's different than what they what they could do just via a text. How, with all your expertise, uh, Ryan, and for those just joining us, we're talking to Dr. Ryan Martin, who has a website called Psychology and Stuff, and his expertise is particularly in mental illness and emotion, uh, but dealing with unhealthy and underscored, underlined, exclamation points as we speak of them, healthy anger. Let me ask you, uh, Dr. Martin, how do, have you learned to work with your own anger as a result of your research? Now, that you know, there's this idea of, you know, physician, heal thyself. Have you been able to successfully do it, at least to a better degree than before? Absolutely. I think one of the things that we see is, uh, um, one of the things I've seen is that I am much better at sort of catching myself in the moment than I once was. And, um, and so when I find myself getting angry, there are times when I just simply have to say, okay, this is, a, this is you're getting yourself into that situation you don't want to be in and finding ways to stop myself and take breaks. I think that um, that's really been important for me, especially, you know, we talked earlier about, um, about what we communicate to our kids and it's been become really important to me because those are, that's a side that I don't necessarily want uh, to, to present to them. Um, and so those are ways in which I've been able to kind of catch that. I'll also say that online in particular, I certainly went through a stage where like a lot of people, I was more likely to get into arguments on Facebook or on Twitter. And, you know, that's, I've sort of learned, okay, what's the point? What, what am I going to get out of this? Why am I doing this? And so I've, I've backed off a lot of that as well. Now, practitioners, practitioners of a deliberate and purposeful thought would probably want to underscore that our anger starts with thoughts. I mean, is, isn't that the, the petri dish of, of all of this? It's, it's our thoughts that dictate the anger. To a degree, you know, it's, it's not, in some ways a little complicated because sometimes our anger, I mean, certainly we appraise things in a, in a way that leads to anger. And so, yes, in that sense, 100% our thoughts drive that anger. The thing is that it happens so quickly that we are barely able to get those thoughts together in a meaningful way. And so, um, you know, what seems to happen is we experience some sort of provocation and boom, we say, this is unfair. This is blocking my goals. I don't like this, right? It leaves me feeling helpless, whatever. And that happens just almost instantly. And from that original sense of this is unfair, we then expand into the, the ability to sort of manage things a little more readily through our thoughts. And so that's the point at which we can start to say to ourselves, wait a minute, let's slow down for a second. Let's think this through and let's decide where we want to go from here, the way we're thinking, but also the way we're feeling and try and manage our feelings that way. So it kind of parlays with the old adage, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Right. Yep. What is good anger? I think it's, uh, we have to acknowledge that anger, the main reason we feel it is because it energizes us. Uh, it alerts us to injustice and it energizes us to confront unjust injustice. And it's really important that we kind of cling, cling to that because there are times where uh, it's good to be angry and it's good to feel motivated that way, provided we handle it in the right way. And so when I'm concerned about anger is 
when people either experience it a lot, they experience it maybe over things that they shouldn't necessarily experience it over, um, or they don't handle it well. And by that, I mean specifically that it it ends up, they experience a lot of consequences and consequences defined broadly as a result of it. You can be with somebody who starts out angry. They forget why they're angry, but now they feel to save face, they have to commit to continuing to be angry lest they feel stupid and lose face. What's that about? Yeah, that's one of the ways in which anger can really be problematic. People getting angry and, you know, either forgetting why or maybe even realizing that they were wrong in the first place. But anger can end up trapping them in a position that they just aren't able to really think as clearly through. Um, or they, like you said, they want to save face and they don't want to admit that they made a mistake or that they were wrong. And that's one of the ways anger can be harmful is that it does kind of limit thought a little bit in that it makes it harder for you to think kind of clearly about your options or think creatively about your options. One of the things that I might uh, say is that, you know, sometimes that has to do with just the degree to which people, um, I think particularly women, are kind of punished for expressing their anger and that they oftentimes there's much more negative consequences to them uh, if they are seen as angry. And so they've kind of been trained to keep it inside, keep it inside, keep it inside. And then, um, but that's hard to do. And so that, that could be one piece. I think another piece is that sometimes people are just kind of looking for a fight. Um, and sometimes they just want to kind of have that argument. And so they, they create a situation in which they, uh, they, they get, get to have it. That's very interesting. That's extremely interesting because there are people who are sometimes in non-stimulating relationships. And what I mean by that is it's excessively quiet. There's no communication. So even negative attention is better than no attention. And so you have persons who will deliberately orchestrate the beginning of an argument because at least they feel some electricity in the room. Uh, people who are driven perhaps to enjoying different types of passion I think will possibly want to have angry passion at least. Am I incorrect in that? No, I think that definitely could be a motivator. I think sometimes it's just displacement as well. It's, I'm angry at someone else, but that's not a safe target. My spouse is a safe target. So I will kind of take, have this fight with you, even though I really want to be having it with my mom or my boss or, you know, someone on Facebook or whatever. And so they they come home feeling frustrated and they, they find ways to, to have the fight at home. Now, some people will go from anger, and it's more so women, but I have witnessed men do the same thing. They will go from anger and suddenly then burst into tears. We did a show dedicated to crying uh, some episodes back. What is the, the transition from anger, uh, the ferocity of, of uh, a fierce expression of, of wrath suddenly to bursting into tears? Yeah, it's really important that people know that emotions never happen in a vacuum, right? We can feel lots of things at the same time. And sometimes it's just all of these different feelings are kind of there at the just right below the surface. And it's really easy for them to come out uh, at kind of at the same time. The other thing that happens, too, is that one of the one of the consequences we see pretty commonly from anger are some um, uh, I guess some 
other negative emotions coming up afterwards. And so you might see, for example, someone with an anger problem will develop a real fear or anxiety problem down the road. And some of that stems from, I'm worried my spouse is going to leave me because of my anger. I'm worried I'm going to get in trouble for this. Um, You'll also see some sadness because people will be kind of racked with guilt down the road. And so I used to have a client who, um, it was so interesting because he would he would have these angry outbursts and, you know, his, his girlfriend's friends thought he was a monster because he was yelling at her all the time. And, and then the same guy would sit in my office and he would be in tears and he would say, I don't want to be this way. I don't want people to think of me as a tyrant. I don't want to be a monster, Mm. Uh, you know? And so Mm. he's really tortured kind of on both ends of this where he can't control himself um, does and says thing he later regrets, and then is dealing with all sorts of sadness and depression over over that interaction later. To what extent do you think that that people use anger as a deflection technique, so as not to look at themselves? I think that's a, a pretty common phenomenon. I think that people. Um, oftentimes, in fact, I think this is kind of root. Some of that parenting anger that we talked about earlier is sort of rooted in this too, is a, um, I'm going to get judgy about the, about other parents' behaviors so that I don't have to think about my own. Mm. And I think it's a way of, um, I think, especially in that case and other cases, you know, when people are really talking about and thinking about, um, deeply personal things like how they parent or how they do their job or what kind of spouse they are, it becomes really easy for them to um, not want to touch that. So they focus on the experiences of other people and sort of, you know, get kind of judgy and blamey about others. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Watching America. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Campbell, and my guest is Dr. Ryan C. Martin. He is the Associate Dean for the College of Arts, Humanities and Social Sciences at the University of Wisconsin in Green Bay. He also has a marvelous popular podcast, which is called Psychology and Stuff. Dr. Ryan Martin teaches courses on mental uh, illness and emotions and particularly emphasizes the issue of anger, both, I don't want to say appropriate and inappropriate, but rather good and perhaps destructive anger and differentiating between the two. He's been featured on the New York in the New York Times and uh, on the BBC, uh, the BBC Radio's Digital Human Program as well. And we've had the pleasure of having him here uh, for this uh, near hour. I want to, before we leave, I want to ask you the following question, and that is, in all of your research, what is the singular thing that came up that surprised you and has, as a result, caused you to look at anger decidedly differently than you formerly did? Yeah, you know... So when I first started studying anger, I went into it thinking of this as a problematic emotion that we just needed to alleviate. And in fact, I the reason why I started studying it was because I had worked with a lot of at-risk youth in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota at a shelter I worked at, and I saw them getting into trouble a lot as a result of their anger. What I still remember the moment, too, it was during my thesis defense when um, one of my uh, one of my advisors said, brought up the idea that there is such a thing as, as healthy, good anger. And I remember reflecting back on those kids and thinking about how they had so much to be angry 
about. That yes. these were kids who had been taken advantage of by a system. They've been abused by parents. They've been yes. uh, a school system that had failed them. Yes. And they had a lot to be angry about. And that the real problem was there were two problems. One was the system that had failed them. And then the other was them finding ways to to thrive uh, despite that and to, to manage that anger in a different way. Because their anger was getting them into trouble. It's just that it wasn't their fault they were angry, and they needed to find ways of, of, of coping and changing that system. There are some people who are struggling with who they are because of their anger. They, they feel enslaved to their anger. They have family members who have told them, you've got to get your anger under control. They've had bad relationships with employers uh, socially. They've uh, basically isolated the very people they love or feel themselves now ostracized as a result of their anger. Not that I want to put undue pressure on you, Dr. Martin, but offer them hope. Where is the hope? And can you give them some directive of how to begin, not necessarily cure, but begin to manage their anger and get help? Yeah, you know, the advice I would give to anyone is um, if you have even had questions about whether or not your anger is appropriate or whether or not it's problematic, if you've ever been told that it is, or your anger uh, is troubling to someone, especially to a loved one, I would say really strongly consider reaching out and getting help. Um, the American Psychological Association has a, excuse me, a psychologist locator on their website. You can go in there and type in your zip code, and they'll give you some options there. There's lots of resources that way. Could you repeat and that, think, please? Yeah, it's the American Psychological Association. There's a psychologist locator right on their website. So if you mm -hmm. go to APA, APA.org, um, that'll get you there. It's also on the resources tab of my website, which is alltheragescience.com. You can go there and you can find the psychologist locator under resources. And, you know, get tied into that system um, because, uh, and it is, it is too bad that it's so hard for people to ask for help. And we've done a, a terrible job of stigmatizing therapy in the United States. Um, and that's, uh, that's unfortunate, but there's lots that can be done. Um, I've watched people make real great strides in addressing their own problematic anger, and uh, it, it can certainly be accomplished. So is it fair to say that we misjudge many angry people and we think of them, frankly, in terms of being behaviorally bad, which to a degree they may be, but it's probably a greater truism to say they're damaged people who don't know how to handle, other than by anger, what's going on inside them. I think that is very true of the vast majority of angry people I've known. That I tend to think of it in ways that are very similar to people who are depressed or anxious. Um, these are emotions that they are having a difficult time controlling. And, um, and they aren't bad people. They just are, are struggling with this. And, and it's, you know, the, the problem with anger compared to those others is that a lot of times there are very direct consequences to those around them. And uh, those consequences make people think that they're, they're bad when ultimately they're just struggling. Dr. Ryan C. Martin, you're doing important work and you're making the world a better place. And you've been a blessing to us on this show. Thank you so very much. Uh, thank you very much for having me.